Hello there, and you're very welcome to join this one-off special podcast on EOSC. Today, we're going to be talking about um, how FAIR data relates to open science and EOSC, EOSC being the European Open Science Cloud. And on that subject, we have Sarah Jones as a guest who I'm talking to, who is the uh, co-chair of the FAIR Working Group in EOSC, uh, as well as having a lot of experience with researchers and research institutions and so on. She uh, is uh, incredibly knowledgeable on the subject and uh, we had a really, really interesting conversation for someone who doesn't know much about FAIR data and how it ties into open science. Um, FAIR is really the principles that underline how you share your data as a researcher as well as many other things but that's one of the main points sarah goes into it in a lot better detail than i will or can um so this conversation today really concentrates on fair data but how to tie researchers into ask researchers are the fundamental core of um what would you say open science of, of sharing data of collaboration of everything that open science wants to do um so how can we get them as involved as possible in the makeup of the european open science cloud so join us and i will see you at the end if you're looking for more information join us on our website aosecretariat.eu or follow us on Twitter at aosecretariat. How would you explain open science? Um, so, I mean, well, I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. Open science, um, one of the, the kind of key phrases that comes out is it's just science done right. You know, so I think as, as technologies change and as the way that researchers have done their work has changed, it becomes more difficult i think to share all of the outputs of research you know because you know things are in different formats it might not be as easy to share things you've got to document them well to make sure they can be understood in the long term um so open science is really a movement to try and encourage research communities to share all of the the findings of their results and and also to to be open as they conduct their research so not to wait till they publish to actually share things but to be open about you know the research that they're doing and that have open methods um, as they're going along and i think when you look at research it's, it's always been like that you know it's it's always been um a collaborative endeavor that people want to interrogate kind of research results and they want to work with each other and, and get the best kind of scientific findings that way so so the open um agenda i don't think is really anything new but obviously there are new ways of working with the technology we're using nowadays so so yeah i mean my next question would be if this is something that's not new then why does it need to happen is it because of that update of technology like has, has that changed everything or something I, I i think that's one of the changes because it you know it's not and it's not as easy to share all the data you know like it's a there's like 
very big quantities of data it's not necessarily you get technical challenges of actually making that available to others um, but maybe also there's been cultural changes in the way science is conducted um, so if you think nowadays it's such a competitive business you know so universities want to be the leading unis and individual academics their careers really based on their research and their data and their publications. So I think there's a lot of the way that we actually um, assess research and the way that we recognize and reward things actually sets up a kind of disincentive to, to share. So I think it's probably partly the technical change, but also partly the way that we, you know, frame that whole um, kind of research agenda. The objective um, with AOSC is to federate the infrastructure. So there's been a lot of investments that the European Commission has made, but also that different member states have made. So there are different infrastructure and services in each country and in each research discipline. And AOSC is about trying to add value by bringing those together in some way. So that, you know, if I'm using a service in one context, it's linked up with other services or the, the data are linked okay. so that you're not just, you're not only seeing data from your particular subject repository, you're also being pointed to relevant other data sets yeah. that may be in other countries or other places. It's like so making, AOSC, making making sure we're all using three prong plugs instead of two prong plugs, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, well, ideally people would work to common standards, but, but sometimes that's not possible. So I found actually, I was in Italy the other day um, and I was in uh, my friend's flat and I was like, I can't plug in my plug because it had the narrow <laughs> yeah. two prong rather than the thick two prong. Um, so sometimes you will always need adapters. You know, you're not going to get everybody working to the same standard, but you just need to in essentially be able to take the two different standards and have some kind of connection between right. them so that you can work together. And so, so that you would say that would be a good definition of what AOSC does. Yeah, actually, I think that is a pretty good definition. So okay. AOSC is about taking all of these different infrastructures, all of these different kind of data collections and community standards and finding crosswalks between them. It's about federating together so that you add value. Then tying in FAIR, which I suppose maybe I can say is your expertise because mm -hmm. you are involved in the FAIR working group, the chair of the FAIR working group, um, how does that then tie into to EOSC? So, so actually, I think that, that plug analogy is quite good again, because FAIR is very much about standards. So, I mean, the acronym itself stands for making things findable, accessible, interoperable and reusable. And the underlying concept, the way in which you do that is by using accepted standards. So that when I'm, you know, uh, describing my data, you understand the terms I'm using and I'm doing it in a similar way to, to other people so that we can bring our data together. And even if we're using different standards, because we've defined what we mean in our particular context, that enables you to have that um, connection to other you know, parallel standards in other fields because you can kind of map across between the two. Um, I think the real benefit of FAIR in the context of EOSC is that FAIR is not the same as open. So one of the things I've often encountered when I've done training to researchers, sometimes you can visibly see part of the audience switch off because you're talking about open and they just go, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I work with human subjects. I have sensitive data. 
I need to patent my data. I have commercial partners. There's various reasons that somebody might think, okay, I can't be open. And I think one of the real issues with open science is that you sometimes you disengage or you, you kind of switch off part of the audience because they just think I can't, I can't address that. Whereas you, with fair, no, no, go, go ahead. So then with, with, with fair, if you mentioned the word fair, do you get that same switch off? No, no. So I think, I think there's a number of reasons. I think fair itself sounds good. Who wants to be unfair? You know, like the acronym um, has a positive kind of vibe around it. Um, but also fair is not about being open. So you can share something in a restricted way. You can say, okay, you know, this can only be reused by um, you know, non-commercials or by the research community or by a particular group of people that are approved to use this data set. Or you could, you, you could say something's closed completely, but you could still um, make it fair. You can still put metadata online so that people could still know that that data set exists. It might be that it's under embargo for two years and nobody can access it at the moment, but you can still also make sure that that data can be reused in future by making sure it follows the different standards. So I think FAIR is a lot more um, adaptable. It's something that everybody can meet. And I think that's one of the real benefits and why it's a big part of EOSC. Do you think that, um, that same, that switch off that comes with the mention of open science, and we're talking about um, with the researchers here, do you think that also applies to EOSC, that when they hear EOSC, it's also a switch off? Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting question thinking about researchers in EOSC. Um, at the moment, I, I think for a lot of people, the term EOSC possibly does mean a switch off because it's so vague and unclear. Um, and I think it's one of, one of these areas where nobody really knows, well, what exactly is EOSC? What is it going to deliver? Where is it at? It's such a big initiative and there are so many different stakeholders and everybody has a slightly different view that I think it can be problematic for people to get an understanding of EOSC. And I think certainly I wouldn't really be promoting EOSC to researchers until there's something tangible that you can say, here is how something works. This is what it delivers to you. That's the only time I'd really take it to researchers. Research infrastructures, uh, engaging with them. So what does that then mean? Does it mean um, that that they need to be more involved with creating a policy around incentivizing and rewarding uh, researchers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they do that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or, or is it, does it mean like simply they just need to be communicated with more or in better ways? Yeah. So in terms of EOSC and making EOSC a success, I think the engagement we need with research infrastructures is actually to direct more of the funding that way, because we need to be, federating those infrastructures. So they need to be the core players in the projects, in my opinion, because if we don't bring those infrastructures together, then we don't have an EOSC. So I think they're a really critical player. Um, And then following on from that, I think through these communities, the research infrastructures, and also through universities, we need to address things like the incentives and rewards because for for an actual researcher, at the coalface doing their work. If they don't really get any benefits from sharing their data, sharing their code, if they still continue to be engaged in that 
you know, like EOSC may provide a really great environment for them to work in and that could be, you know, a huge benefit to them. But what, what would actually make them want to do the extra effort to make their data fair, to share it with others, you know, to use open licenses? Like at the moment, there's not much recognition of the effort they put into that work. So I do think that incentive system needs to change. The people who I think are critical there are the, the funders um, and the policymakers on a national level and also at universities, um, because they're really the people who are essentially defining the researcher's career path you know it's your university that decides whether you're promoted and part of that promotion criteria could be we want to see that you've been open we want to see that you've shared code in line with our policy or shared data um and the same with funders they they always ask for you know a little cv of every researcher that applies for a grant and what happens there is that you know, they, they could say code, not just publications or to be some other type of output. So unless, unless they change those kind of ways of working, you're not going to affect the system. Is that happening? Uh, this change in, in, in funding from funders? So in very small areas. So I know some university policies like UCL where they recognize openness in their kind of, um, you know, promotion and career progression policy. Um, and I think funders do in encourage other outputs such excellence framework. You know, you can submit things other than publications, but there isn't much push to actually really encourage that. Um, it's always seen as a risk by institutions or by research groups because you know, they want to make sure that they get the best rating and, and there's still this acceptance that, you know, four-star publications are what you want to be submitting. So I think there's, there's more of a push needed from the policymakers to actually make that change happen. So it needs to go back towards the policymakers to do it. And then how, why aren't they doing it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a bit of a catch-22. You know, change is slow. Things always take a while to happen. And and funders, you know, they have brought in policies, but, you know, policies are a stick unless you actually incentivize things as well, yeah. unless you, yeah. you know, make the change desirable. Nobody likes to do what they've been told to do, you know, and they'll kind of, they'll give lip service to it as much as they have to. But if there's not really if there's not a direct benefit or there's not a consequence of not doing it, then why would people throw lots of extra time and effort at something? So we were talking about research communities and that there's actually, I, first of all, I didn't even know this, that there was loads of different types of research communities. But anyway, so there are. So there, there, for example, if you're an astrophysicist, you're in that community. If you're yeah. something else, you're in another community. And all of these communities, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, all of these communities basically have their own way of working. So they use different yeah. tools, they use different templates, all that kind of stuff. And, and this is where fair comes in isn't is that correct mm -hmm. yeah. and and it's about standardizing it but also recognizing of the fact that you can't fully standardize am, am well right? well so well fair uh, fair is a set of principles and when you read through those principles standards are really at the heart 
part of lots of those principles. And there are some, some things that can be more generic. So one of the FAIR principles is about having a persistent identifier to any digital object. And there are a few different persistent identifiers you might apply to, to data sets like DOIs or handles or arcs, for example. Um, but it, that isn't really different for different research communities. I mean, there, there will be some differences, but they're very generic um, ways of assigning a PID. Whereas other things, other elements of the FAIR principles talk about community standards. And exactly as you've said, the way that an astronomer works is very different to the way that, um, you know, a geneticist works or a humanities scholar. So they all have very different methods, different ways of working. They work with different types of data and those different types of data will be structured in different ways or have different file formats or have different standards for the metadata because it's, it's very different what they need to record. You know, like if I'm doing, I don't know, some linguistic research, then, you know, elements of speech are what's really critical to me because I want to understand, you know, the different, I don't know, styles of, of speaking. Whereas if it's somebody, you know, researching the oceans and things like the depth that they took a measurement at or the salinity of the water is what's really critical. And this is why the standards are very different. You can't have one standard that suits, you know, linguistics and oceanography. Um, so FAIR really is about defining the standards for a given community and the ways of working for a given community. And this is why it, it varies for different groups. Um, what's important within EOSC is that we recognize that difference in community practice. So we can't look at one community like life science and go, oh, right, okay, so these are all the standards they work to. These are all the, the ways that they do things. This is the basis for EOSC because then we'll have other research groups that are completely alienated because they can't match that. So we have to look at FAIR in a very abstract, high level way. And we need to say, okay, there are a set of principles and those principles will be implemented differently in every research community, but what's the commonality? What can we say if we say, you know, or every data set within EOSC has to have a persistent identifier, can every community meet that? And if they can, then that can be a rule of EOSC. Um, or if we say every, every object within EOSC, every data set, every piece of code, every publication or whatever happens to be within EOSC has to have some metadata, you would hope that's something every community can meet because if we don't have metadata, then there's no way to identify something. There's no way to find it. There's no way to understand it. So. So this so, is really what we're trying to do in the FAIR working group, trying to define like the base level that everybody can meet. So then what, why even, why standardize? Oh, if you, I mean, if you don't have standards, it's kind of like a hiding to nothing, isn't it? Like, so if, if every research group decides to do something in their own idiosyncratic way, then if you ever want to collaborate with somebody else, there's all of this hidden knowledge that you need to work around. You have to be like, okay, so when, when you use this particular term, what on earth did you mean by that? And you'll find, you'll probably find this in, in any context. Like you walk into a certain job and you pick up from somebody else and you're thinking, what on earth was mm. that meant to mean? And there's some kind of hidden knowledge in it. So 
you this is why standards are important to try and make all those things explicit because whoever else comes to that data set in the future won't know your little quirks and and so that's what open science is about then it's about being able to understand each other's work for collaboration sorry that's the word yeah yeah actually i think collaboration is a massive part of open science because the i think the underlying ethos of openness is that you are willing to share and be transparent and communicate in a way that encourages feedback from others. So I think really what's at the heart of open science is conducting your research in a collaborative way, sharing the outputs, but also sharing your working, sharing your thoughts so that others can help you do, help you enrich your research. Because I mean, nobody has all of the insights. It's only by working with others that you go, oh, that's a different perspective. That makes something better of this thing. Obviously, if you have everything online like we do now, then it is a huge potential for collaboration, probably more so than, than before. And then obviously then this is where the standards come in so that you can then talk to each other about it or, or yeah. the, 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 the documents can talk to each other in the sense that they can be the same. So is that... I mean, has, has this type of collaboration been done before? Are we entering a whole new world of collaboration or? So I, I think a fair degree of this collaborations happened before. So there are various communities that, you know, have been working openly, have been regularly sharing content, have been working globally, you know, so researchers in a particular field in Australia are going to be working with researchers in Scotland or somewhere else in Europe or the States. And they regularly share because the way, well, technology nowadays enables that, you know, you can, like you say, put content online, you can have environments where research groups from very different locations are working collectively together. Um, I think one of the big differences and opportunities with EOSC is the scale of it so it's about federating across different research communities across all of europe um so that's a very big aggregation of content and one of the main things underlying fair and the reason why standards are important is because you want to enable machines to work on things not just humans so it's not necessarily the researcher going, okay, give me all the data about okay. mm -hmm. this particular, you know, gene or whatever. It, you can actually have a machine that runs, you know, those queries for you or identifies patterns in the data or linked, you know, data sets where it's like, this could be useful with this. Um, and that's that's one of the greatest potentials, I think. And that's really you know, a more transformative step. In terms of that and in terms of FAIR, and, and I know that EASC is a FAIR working group, and I, I think, if I'm right in saying this, that effectively what you've been doing is almost mapping what's going on so far, uh, how how it works, what communities do what, how they use their, you know. And yeah. the next step then is to put what you're talking about into practice. Yeah. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so within the FAIR working group, we had four task forces and one of them was looking at FAIR practice and they did a, a, a really great piece of work where they looked at all of the studies that have been done so far on FAIR and then also um, engaged with different groups. They've done a big consultation around their report. So 
their report on fair in practice looks at all of the different research communities and what stage people are at, what levels of maturity, what are the main um, enablers for fair and what are the main barriers that different groups are facing. And that gives us a really good um, kind of state of the play at the moment, the landscape, so that we know um, what we can essentially write into the EOSC framework, you know, what's going to actually be suitable for research communities at large, what's not going to alienate or limit engagement from one community. Um, so that, that report's actually out, there's a set of, I think it's seven recommendations that they put based on that, which is um, out on Zenodo. So, so is, is, is this, this report um, yeah. informs the, the framework? And when the framework is decided or when it's put into action, which is soon, yeah, that's yeah. and in, in the sense of fair, I know there's lots of different parts of it, but in the sense of fair, because that's where inter researchers are, are, I suppose, highly involved, then it starts to become quite practical for the researcher. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so... So effectively, yeah, we've been developing this framework of how EOSC works and then you'll federate the infrastructures in and then that's when it becomes very practical for a researcher because the services and the tools they use are part of this wider EOSC ecosystem. So there's the added value of being part of this federation. It's not just that they, you know, only have access to the data from their particular service. Um, so that's when EOSC, you know, is a lot more useful um, for researchers and if if you were to say if a researcher was to ask you now right about AOSC <laughs> yeah um, what would you tell them to to look at you know where where is their hook in or it could be an article it could be um, a report so depending on on what they needed I may be a little bit controversial that I wouldn't direct researchers to EOSC I think I think it's quite confusing for a researcher because at the moment there's nothing tangible to, to see. And there's a lot of, you know, like policies and documents around how the thing's being built. And it's, it's, it's quite hard, I think, for a researcher to get their head around what is this thing? What's it going to do for me? And I think at the moment there's a huge risk that if you direct researchers to EOSC or train them on EOSC, we're going to end up with disappointed people because they come to something and it doesn't work for them or it doesn't deliver on their expectations. And then they go never engaging with that again. And I think that's a huge risk. So I, I personally don't think we should be pointing researchers to EOSC at the moment. Um, what I would point a researcher to um, is the services they use currently, whether they be at their university or whether they be there in their research community, like their subject specific repositories that they use and find data through, because that's actually going to be the researcher's interface to EOSC. EOSC is an, it's a federation. EOSC is not one thing. There's, I mean, there will be an EOSC portal, but that doesn't have to be everybody's central point of access. It's not that you can only enter or use EOSC by going through that one gate. You know, it's effectively a catalogue of catalogues because all of the services that federate in, a researcher can come through their normal route. They can go and use the services they're used to using, but they get the added value that this service is now part of EOSC. So there's wider benefit. Um, and I always think it's wrong to direct people to something new 
you know people it takes a long time for people to learn services and learn ways of working and it's actually counterproductive you know to switch them to something new you should build on the trusted relationship they already have with their community service and have you noticed that so far that uh, that has helped or that 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 um researchers inputting in their universities or their way to input into EOSC is 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 helping EOSC develop um or is it too early maybe it's too early it's yeah it's possibly too early for that i mean i uh, there are i'm not sure that everybody shares my viewpoint that essentially EOSC should be a little bit invisible to researchers okay. and that researchers should be using the current services they're currently using um i think some people do think we should be you know marketing eosc to researchers and i think that's completely the wrong way to go okay um so the is this still up for is this still up for discussion like is this something that's being decided how you do that is it through ask or or through the as i said before eosc is it's very big initiative with lots and lots of different stakeholders and i think it's very hard to have a single point of authority or viewpoint so i i would say that most people on the executive board are of my viewpoint that, you know, EOSC is a federation um, and that, you know, it's adding value in that researchers engage with their current services, that we don't force them to learn the EOSC portal. Um, and I would, I would actually think that is the authoritative viewpoint because that's coming from the executive board. Other people probably have different viewpoints, but they may be delivering it more, delivering services more. And then I think that's where some of the tension comes because the people who are actually funded to do the work might not agree with the position that the board has. Um, so that's one of the challenges for the future EOSC Association as well. You know, like there has to be a common vision. I, I think we've done a lot of work around building that common vision and trying to get people on the same page. But, you know, there are still differences of opinion. Um, and there isn't really like a, there isn't a single authority in EOSC, you know, because there's so many different groups and so many different people funded to do pieces of the work that it's very difficult to have that coherence. And that's actually another reason why I think you, you shouldn't be directing the end user, the researcher at the moment, because I think unless you've got something very well put together and um, very robust in terms of its delivery. I think it's, you know, dangerous to point people to it. AOSC is a European initiative. Do you think yeah. that uh, Europe is at the forefront of, of this or do, you, or do you have much interaction as AOSC with, with um, I don't know, uh, if America are on the same page or, or maybe Australia? Yeah. So, um, so through some work I do in the Research Data Alliance, um, I'm involved in a group called the Global Open Research Commons, which is effectively um, initiatives like EOSC around the world. And it's about bringing them together so that as we're building EOSC and developing our EOSC framework, it mirrors and matches similar initiatives in other countries. Um, so there, there are things happening in other places, certainly in Australia, in South Africa, various other continents. There are things in, in America, but by nature of America, it's not as centralized um, in the same way. Um, I think EOSC is probably still at the forefront. Uh, there's been a strong um, history and background here and a lot of investment. 
but there are differences. I mean, there are challenges for, for EOSC, the fact that it's so many different countries, so many different legislative frameworks in those countries, you know, it's, and so many different, um, you know, governments, sets of politicians, sets of stakeholders to bring together. I think it's very hard and it, that does make the work and progress slow. Um, in other places, like in Australia, um, there's much more um, centralized funding, I would say, you know, and at, at least it's, um, even though Australia itself is a huge place geographically, it's a smaller set of stakeholders to get, you know, around the table and to collaborate with. Um, and they're doing fantastic work in Australia as well. So there are pros and cons in, in each context. I actually think with EOSC, I think we've got the opportunity to do something very strong because by nature it has to be a big collaborative endeavor you know if you want something to work across these dif different geographic territories you've you've got to really take your time and and collaborate and i think that leads to a better result even though it's long slow and probably painful as you're doing it do you think it's going in the right direction I think broadly speaking, yes. I think there's been a lot of progress this year with like the exec board. I, I think that's um, really kind of focused and driven things and brought more coherence and coordination. Um, I, I think there are, there are risks of that slipping. You know, I think there has to be a close interplay between the new EOSC association and the funded projects, um, you know, whether they be funded by the European Commission or by member states, because unless you, unless you have close working relationships, you're not able to kind of coordinate across so many initiatives and make sure that you get the, be the best from those initiatives, you know, like you don't want people taking completely different you know, trajectories. How do you then bring yeah, that together yeah. in EOSC? So, so I think that's something that we really need to work on because that's been challenging. Um, but I think we're in a much better position now than we were. Okay. And I think, yeah, and I think the, the researcher side of things, you know, because I, I think the underlying theme here is researcher engagement. I think we're managing to achieve that to some degree. And my, my only kind of like word of warning would be that I think we really have to engage researchers in intermediaries, you know, like the people representing researchers, the universities, the research infrastructures, the data stewards. I think those are the stakeholders we really need to collaborate with because they understand and they represent researchers' viewpoints and they can help us build EOSC in a way that's viable for the end researcher community. I think we don't want to be doing a mass marketing to researchers and say, oh, hey, come and look at our portal, use EOSC, because until we've got a very clearly designed user journey and we know that that researcher is going to come, they'll be able to log on, they'll be able to do everything they want to do in EOSC. Until we have that, we really shouldn't be going to the end user. We should be working through the people that understand those users and can help us engage them. So the research, researchers have to be at the center of EOSC, but that doesn't mean that we go to individual researchers and say, right, we need to understand your needs. Because I think it's a hard sell for researchers at the moment. They're busy with their day-to-day -day job. And I think we can more usefully engage by working with the people who support researchers 
and who do that day to day, people who are very close to their needs. Um, and I think those stakeholders are the, you know, the group that we really have to address currently to get that researcher centric view. If you're looking for more information, join us on our website, alsecretariat.eu, or follow us on Twitter, ask alsecretariat. And there you have it. Very interesting conversation with Sarah Jones there, and uh, thank a big thank you to her for um, coming on and having a sit down with me to explain everything that is fair data, open science, um, and how researchers tie into it. I think a nice way to round off the discussion as we did is, um, you know, AASC is doing a lot of work on this and it will become very practical for researchers uh, in the near future. Uh, and over the last while, what they've been trying to do is figure out how everyone is templating their stuff or formatting their stuff um, and that's been a huge body of work on its own and now the next step is to come up with some overlaying standards so that collaboration can happen more and more not just between scientists but also between the machines they use as well and really unlock the digital revolution that uh, Europe um, and the rest of the world uh, is is pushing thank you very much for listening and i hope to see you again goodbye